Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you, and God bless. Today we're going to close our message series, uh, The Kingdom Family. Uh, This will be part four of the Kingdom Family message series, and I'm going to be talking about raising kingdom children, raising kingdom children. Uh, We started this series four weeks ago. Uh, We examined the kingdom man, because if you're going to have a kingdom family, There must be a kingdom man, a kingdom-minded man. There must be a kingdom woman. When a kingdom man and a kingdom woman come together, I mean, they form an unstoppable force. And that's what the scripture says. Uh, And together they can have a kingdom marriage, right? Because they have the principles of the kingdom uh, come together and they have what is called a kingdom marriage. So last week we defined identified what a kingdom marriage looks like. What is God's idea of marriage? Uh, We talk about that. And we ended last week by talking about kingdom marriage produces kingdom offspring. Uh, Malachi 2.15 says God seeks a godly offspring. All right? Uh, The kingdom marriage, uh, we produce kingdom children. Uh, God is very generational in his thinking, in the way he does things. The Bible says he blesses people from generation to generation. When God blesses someone, he doesn't always intend it to stop with them. In fact, in God's agenda, he gets better every day. The Bible describes Abraham as very rich, as rich rather, describes Isaac as very rich, and describes Jacob as exceedingly rich. God's promises shines brighter and brighter every day. Praise the name of Jesus. So it's important when God, you know, part of God's agenda and plan is to really have kingdom offspring, kingdom children come out of a kingdom family. I want us to pray. Father, thank you today for the privilege to share your word with your people. Lord, I ask, Lord, you will... You will give me an instructed tongue so that I will know how to speak a word in season to everyone that is in front of me today. I ask, Lord, you will give us open hearts so we can receive your word the way it is, it is spoken. Thank you because you have answered our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. One of the failures of Adam and Eve is they didn't raise uh, kingdom-minded children. Uh, and we know the story, sin polluted God's plan, and we know we have Cain and Abel uh, came out of that, and we know Cain killed his brother. Uh, so things get pretty ugly from the beginning. Uh, because they failed, they also failed to pass on what the Lord deposited in them to their children. So you have chaos started or continue because of inability to translate God's plan and promise and purpose into their children. So when the Lord was looking for another man to restart all these things together, 
many of us, the plan of salvation started thousands and thousands of years ago. So God found a man called Abraham, and one of the qualities God saw in him was that he knew Abraham somehow will be able to transfer this thing to his children. So in in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, the Lord told us why he singled out Abraham. And if you look at the life of Abraham, there was really nothing unique about Abraham, at least that we'll see from reading his story, why God chose him. It was, you know, well, we know God chose him. But God gave us an idea here in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. He said, I have singled him out so that he would direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. Right? He said, I, I called Abraham, gave him a wonderful promise, but I know he will be able to pass this thing. All right? Otherwise, the promise will be pointless. The promise wouldn't really come to fruition. So I've commanded him and told him to teach his children. Uh, and that has always been the heart of the Father, and it's very important. Even when uh, God... <clears throat> You know, when he gave the children of Israel, when everything got finalized, then you have uh, Israel as a nation was born. Part of God's commandment to them was to make sure they were taught to their children. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it was constantly repeated that they must teach, excuse me, diligently this word to their children, talk to them. In fact, in some places, he said, make sure you bind it to their to their wrist, make sure you put the commandment, they use these chains, you know, all those things so that they will be able to pass whatever God is talking about to their children. So God's intent is to, for his blessing and what he's doing in our life to go to our families, translate to our children, and he said here, even to their family, so that our children will also be able to translate this to their family. And I think Joshua borrowed this because we know, obviously, uh, from the promise to Abraham, he went to Isaac, Jacob took it, Joseph took it, the children of Israel went to, they went to Egypt, came out of Egypt uh, by Moses, Moses handed over to Joshua. At some point, Joshua got frustrated the way the children of Israel, things were going, and he said at some point, he said, choose this day in the famous uh, Joshua 24, 15, He said, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Right? Whether the gods of your ancestor, uh, the god your ancestor served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you were living. And he said, but as for me and my house, hallelujah, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I want you to say it as for me and my household. We will serve the Lord. So God is very generational. God cares that we are able to translate all these things to our children. You know, and that's one of my greatest passion is to make sure our children love what we do. You see, one of my greatest passion, what drives me most is to have a church that our children love to go. Uh, because oftentimes we have churches that have children, they have to go. They go because they have to go. 
That's important. Uh, I, I just visited my son yesterday. He was at a camp, and he, he went to some services, some, some services they have in there, and uh, he didn't really like the service. And he said, now I know why some kids in some churches don't like to go to church. <laughs> so the services are so boring. I could just, uh, you see, that's, you know, one of our passions here is to have a church that our kids love to go. They want to come there. They're excited about coming. We don't have to force them to go. Uh, we don't have to persuade them every Sunday. Uh, we don't have to, you know, we, you know, they don't have to say, oh, do we have to go again? And as, as parents also, we must learn and ask God for wisdom to present our faith to our children in a way they love our faith, all right? It's not something they have to do. Many of us grew up with, you know, parents who just, you know, they wake you up with a bell. Some of us were, all right, 5 a.m., the bell start ringing or the alarm. It used to be bell. Those of us who grew up in, uh, in Nigeria or some other third world country start ringing the bell. Wake up, wake up, wake up. You're like, oh, my God, again? And they bring out some hymn book. <laughs> and you sing the hymn, and you're dozing. You, can, you don't even understand half of the words in the hymn. I mean, they are written in some ancient English word that you have no clue what they're talking about. You just know it's hymn. And some of them are actually scary. You know, all the hymns are just talking about flying to heaven <laughs> when this world is done. When it's over, <laughs> every last verse of the hymn. Have you noticed that? It's scary. To me, it's so scary. So it's not so much fun. They never, many of them, they didn't quite figure out a way to make this thing attractive to children. And we can make it attractive to children. We can learn to present our faith in such a way that they want our faith. It's not a routine. It's not a religion. Why are we doing this? Most times, parents can't really answer, or they never took time to teach them, this is why we do this. This is why we pray. This is why we go to church. This is why we go on our knees. Why do I have to close my eyes? All right? This is why we you close your eyes. <laughs> parents, if you don't close your eyes, an angel will slap you. They're like, I don't know what kind of faith that angel slaps people. <laughs> Maybe I should be an unbeliever. At least I don't have to worry about angels slapping me. It's our responsibility as parents, as adults, to really make sure this faith is translated, transferred to them. And this continues even in the time of Jesus. They didn't really care about kids. The disciples, they just didn't really. I mean, kids to them is afterthought. Every time kids came to Jesus, they were disturbance, right? They said, oh, your master is busy. Kids, oh, just go. You know, and Jesus had to stop them. At some point, he said, you know what, suffer not the children to come to me. Let them come, let them come. And Jesus, at some point, he said, stop, come. And he blessed all the children to let them know that they are important. At some point, he actually said, you know, unless you become like a child, you can't even enter into the kingdom of God. 
So they are not disturbance. They are, very, they are a very critical part of God's agenda. Praise the name of Jesus. So in Mark chapter 9, verse 42, Jesus upped the ante when it comes to coming to children. He said, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. That's how much he cares. If you offend any of these little ones, if you cause them to sin, if you cause them to stumble, if you put a stumbling block between them and God in any way, he said it's better you are never born. In fact, it's better for us to hang a millstone around your neck and just throw you into the sea. That's how much he cares about children, how much he cares that we, you know, raise kingdom children. It is my prayer that as parents we will see this as our primary responsibility. I challenge uh, couples. Once you have children, uh, it's a very serious, it's a different ballgame. You're married once you have children. It's a very serious thing. Every move, every step you take becomes, must be very strategic. Where you live, what you do, music you play, even the relationship between you and your spouse is a strategic thing at this point. It's no longer about you. And many of us, even if things are rough, things are tough, you know you can move on. You know you can leave your wife, leave your husband, pack up, just move on. You can always create another life. But you know you have done, most times, a lasting damage to the children. There's a book called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce, <coughs> written uh, very, very powerful. Studied children who grow up out of divorce home. Uh, most times, permanent damage are done. Not all the times. God can mitigate it. But we don't need to put them through all that. We don't need to put our children through all that, through the emotion, through the suffering, just because we are not able to be strategic in how we live our life. So it's important. Raising kingdom children must be something we hold very dear. I don't think our faith is worth it if we cannot pass it to our children. In fact, we should pass it so they can do better. Hallelujah. So I'm going to go to Luke chapter 2 to look at what is a kingdom children. And I think we're going to use the life of Jesus, how the Bible described the growth of Jesus to look at what, we, what kind of children do we want to raise. As parents, Luke two fifty two describes uh, the growth of Jesus, and uh, you know, verse from verse fifty one, he said, and they he went to Nazareth with them. This is after they found Jesus in the temple. You know, the scare of losing Jesus when that all was you know taken care of. His mother treasure all these things in his heart, and fifty two described. The life of Jesus, basically from, uh, you, know, you know, maybe from 12 around this time until he was 30. And I want all of us to read verse 52 together if you can. Can we do it? One, two, go. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So Jesus grew in four different areas. I want you to notice that. 
He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God. And he grew in favor with man. So there are three areas that a parent, and even if you are not a parent, if you are an adult, uh, you know, you know, you have a niece, you have a nephew, you know, you want to really participate, which we should do. We participate in raising them, grandparent. We must really focus on these four areas. So I'm going to reorder them a little bit. I'm going to talk about the first one, which is growing in stature. That's the second one. Talking about physical growth, all right? The second one is growing in wisdom, right? And the third one is growing in favor with God. And the fourth one is growing in favor with man, all right? Growing in stature simply means physical growth. I mean, that's most people know our primary responsibility is to provide for our children food, shelter, so they are physically okay. They are well fed, not too fed. Sometimes they are too fed. All right? They are well fed. They are, you know, they are encouraged to be active physically, right? They're encouraged to, to grow physically. They're not lacking. They are clothed properly. Uh, those we get. I mean, many of us, thankfully, we live in an environment where those things are not necessarily luxuries, right? Uh, and they are protected. They are protected from physical harm, right? They are protected from all kinds of physical dangers around them, so we are watchful. Uh, so the parents of Jesus, they did a good job in that. It was protected. So Jesus was not armed. He was protected from the element. You know, he had clothing. He was feeding. And that is how you grow in stature. So as parents, that is our primary responsibility to make sure our children are provided for. Sometimes that is not always as easy. Uh, obviously, we have to work hard. We have to provide. We have to provide shelter. Uh, we, have to, we have to make sure they are watched. Uh, I mean, I've seen parents have to make sacrifices to make this happen. But this is very important to ensure our children grow in stature. But he added a second component. As it's growing in stature sometimes can almost be almost automatic because growing old is just automatic. You feed them, you clothe them. You know, the rate at which they grow is amazing, right? I joke with some of them, what do you eat? You eat some fertilizer or something? They grow very fast. Physically, they, they, you know, it's easier to do that. But he said Jesus also grew in wisdom. He grew intellectually. Intellectual growth is a little bit different. Uh, it's not as easy as physical growth. That means we are responsible to educate them, all right? Uh, we are responsible to encourage them to be, you know, to pursue knowledge, uh, wisdom itself is a function of knowledge. It's a function of understanding. There are three key words when you talk about wisdom. Knowledge is acquired, right? Acquired information. Understanding also comes because you understand what you acquire. And wisdom is the ability to put them into practice. Right? So as parents, we want to raise children who are, who are growing intellectually. I mean, I often, I often said that one of my, you know, one of the biggest legacy I think my father gave me was the love of reading. I think it defined almost every other thing I have in life. Ability to just love to read, love information, love to go around. And I think it's, it's our role as parents to make sure those are instilled in our children. 
you know, they, they acquire knowledge. We also must ensure they acquire the right knowledge. So many of us don't really care what they watch. You just expose them to all kinds of information. As parents, that's, that's really your responsibility. All right? That's really your responsibility. We live in an environment where all kinds of information is available. It's available to them. There are information that get kids very angry. See, kids are exposed to things that they're just angry through life. Some kids are exposed to things that make them feel, you know, they are nobody. They give them all kinds of wrong impression about the world. So as parents, we must be deliberate in making sure they grow, you know, in knowledge. But more than knowledge is wisdom. Because ultimately, it's not just about making sure our kids are brilliant. And some parents really make those mistakes. You're fortunate to have a child that is, uh, you know, brilliant academically, and you think that's it. Guess what? That doesn't really take kids very far if they don't acquire wisdom to live. That's very important. That's very, very important. Uh, uh, I I believe uh, Malcolm Gladwell, in one of his his books, uh, The Keys to Success, uh, what's the title? I forgot it. Uh, But he talked about you know, kids who grow up with parents who are involved, who, who are emotionally developed. Because wisdom is also about emotional intellect. It's not just about mental intellect. Good work ethics, right? Or understanding obedience to authority. What is the value of that? Ability to obey authority. Ability to, you know... To, to make decisions in life, ability to cope with things in life. We, they're finding out a lot of kids are lacking in this. You know, they are smart, but they are not wise. Now, you don't want to raise smart kids who can really, many of them can hold a job. Many of them can really do well. Uh, just because they are smart doesn't mean they, they should be spoiled brats. In fact, it is better to pick a child that is wise who is less smart. Wise people will do well in life than smart kids. Smart kids who don't have wisdom, they will make wrong decisions almost throughout their life. Relationship decisions, friendship decisions, association, all kinds of decisions we make in life that really make us to be successful. So we must ensure our kids, they grow in wisdom. Praise the name of Jesus. And then move to the next one growing in favor with God. You know, growing in favor with God. I think, it be, I believe New Living Translation says God was pleased with him. All right? He was growing. That is, you see, we need to make sure spiritual growth is also our responsibility as parents. You know, one thing I want to tell parents is you can, you can farm that out. It's not a responsibility you should give to other people. I know many parents who, oh, yeah, you know, when they start having kids, they start coming to church so that they can go to Sunday school. But that is one component, really. But I I, I have personally concluded there are three components, there are three sources a child gets information from. Uh, Number one is the house, is the primary place, the school, and the church, those three places. And kids always try to reconcile all those three places. All right? You know, and I personally believe 
at least two of them must be really spiritually right. All right? Uh, if you have opportunity to send your children to Christian school at the beginning of their life, that's great. I think if you have the three of them, that's the best. But at least two must be, must be them. Because spiritually, they won't be fed right in the public school. We all know that. It's a mess in the public school, spiritually speaking. It's a mess. I mean, they just they will shove all kinds of things down their throat. They don't really care about them becoming spiritually okay. Uh, you know, it, it, that's, 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 but you know, even if you don't have that, I think if you have the house right, the home is right, and the church is right, they will be able to combat whatever happened out there. Because now they have to, you see, children like affirmation. They like confirmation. If I'm telling my kids something in school, at home, and the teacher is telling them something different, they are confused. And depending on how they rank the people, you know, if they think their mom, their dad is smarter than their teachers, you know, then they will take my, our word for it. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just think teachers are smarter, right? Sometimes. And they take the words of the teachers for it. I've seen so many kids lose their faith in college. You know, they, you know, they go to college, they study sociology, anthropology. They don't even believe God, God anymore. Messed up in their minds, you know. But I think if you have at least the home okay and the church okay, even if the school is not okay, you can, you'll be fine. At least two of those components must ensure. So as parents... It's not just about other people teaching them. You are the primary teacher. And that's why you should be spiritual. Don't think other people should be. Spirituality is the job of other people. It's your job. You are the pastor of your house at the minimum. You are the pastor of your house. If you can pastor anybody, at least pastor your children. And that's why the Bible is clear. Anybody that can lead their children right should not lead in church. If your children can't believe you, then then why should we? So it's very important. So ensuring is our responsibility to lead them to Christ. Leading them to Christ is important. It's our responsibility to help them to grow spiritually, to explain this truth to them. We know their strength, we know their weaknesses, to be able to help them. So Jesus grew in favor with God. And the last one is grow, he grew in favor with man. That's really relationship. You know, relationship. This is becoming more challenging. Kids are less developed now relationship wise because of cell phone, right? iPad. All kids now, they are together, everybody's on their device. They don't even know how to talk. They don't know how to carry out long conversation anymore. You remember those days you have friends, you talk, you know, you, you fight, you talk. You know, you gather together with your friends or you're coming from school, you walk home. I had friends, we walk home, you know. We're, we're talking, we're having fun, we pass our house, I walk them to their house, they walk me back, we go back and forth. Kids don't do that anymore. They are in chat room talking to each other. They are in, they are in some chat room out there. 
you know, pretending to be something, just doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And if you're not careful, they don't know how to carry on real life conversation. They don't know. They don't know how to respect people. They don't know how to regard people. They don't know what's the difference between this and that. They don't know all that anymore. It's becoming harder and harder. And that's why, parents, we must up the ante. We must make sure we teach them relationship with other people. I mean, if you have kids who have certain tendencies to be snobbish, don't take them for granted. It's going to hurt them for life. All right? You must always check that with them. You must always... I mean, I sit down with my children all the time to make sure. You are pastor's kid. How does that translate? I hope you know that you're not... That doesn't mean you're special. And they say, oh, we know that. No, so don't, don't let that translate anywhere. You, you just do things. If people send you to do stuff in church, if you're helping out, do it very well. Don't, don't, don't let that mess you up. Because... If you're not careful, we can hurt our children relationally. And people who don't have relationship skill, you know, this intelligence, because there's, a, there's an emotional intelligence that allows us to be able to make friends, to be able to connect, to be able to lead people, to be able to do well, and that is connected to success in life. So it's important. Don't worship your children. Many of us, I think we live in a world where people worship their kids now. They run our life. We don't have, they just, they just drive all of us crazy. And we feel we have no choice. We have a choice, all right? We should be in charge, not them in charge. Hallelujah. But for us to be in charge, we have to know what we are doing. We have to have a goal for them. We have to have a desire. And they have to know all that. Praise the name of Jesus. So we see this Four components, stature. Uh, physically, they are growing, but we must ensure they are also growing mentally, intellectually. They are growing in wisdom. All right? You, you shouldn't raise a gullible child. All right? You must raise children who are smart, you know, who are also street smart, I would say, right? They know, how to, they know the world is not, everybody is not going to clap for them out there. You know, sometimes we pamper them so much, they expect people to pamper them. They go to work, they think their boss is like their parent. They're not watching for, watching for you out there. You have to let them know that it's really brutal out there. And it is. It's really hard out there. People are not going to be clapping for you every time you do something good. It's only parents that do that. You do good, some people will not clap for you. It's tough. It's tough to succeed. It's tough in the marketplace, right? It's tough everywhere you go. You got to understand that and know that it takes certain wisdom to be able to navigate life. That's our goal, spiritual growth and relational growth. I'm going to give you a few points. We have a few minutes on how this is carried out in a home how this is carried out in a home. And I will, I don't know how to categorize it. I call them elements, element of raising kingdom children. And some of them will look like I'm contrasting some truths to each other, but I, I will just go. Number one is I call it love and discipline. If you're going to raise kingdom children, you must know how to balance love and discipline because I really think most people struggle in this area. Most people 
you know, love the children too much, they're not able to discipline. You know, some parents, sometimes they are too heavy-handed, right, without really adequating love, I mean, adequately showing love to their children. And that has a major effect on children when they really, when this is not well-balanced. And I think every parent must sincerely pray for God's wisdom in this area. It's, it's very difficult. It's not as easy as it seems. You know, parenting is, is a major task. The major task that requires supernatural wisdom from God, just to know how to make those choices. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, it's a long verse, but I would like to read it because we know. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. I want you to know that. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So the Lord, that's how the Lord operates. The Lord does not necessarily discipline people he doesn't love. I think that's weird. All right? You know, but that's the truth. That the Lord, if the Lord disciplines you, it's because he loves you. It's because he believes in you. It's because he believes your life is worth it. You are worth saving. You are worth straightening out. And sometimes when people go through discipline, they don't always feel that way. But and sometimes even parents, when we discipline, that is not always our motivation. You have noticed that sometimes when parents discipline, we don't communicate that very well. They just think you're angry, right? They, they, you discipline children because you're embarrassed. That should not be the motiv- motivation to do. You embarrass me out there. You, I want to... You see, some of us, our motivation is uh, us, Right? She, he embarrassed me. She embarrassed me. I'm angry. She inconvenienced me. He inconvenienced me. Therefore, you kick the child, do that. And you reinforce that over and over again. It's hard to prove that you love them. It's really hard. It's really hard. Everywhere, every time you want to discipline, you should always catch yourself. Why are you disciplined? Because the Lord disciplined the one he loves chastens everyone he accepts. On the other hand, you have people who won't discipline their children. I mean, but they are good at disciplining other people's children. Have you noticed people like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're very good. When they see other people doing something wrong, they know how to point it out. They know how to flog them. They know how to spank them. But it's their children. They have all the excuses in the world. Why he's such a perfect child. It's not his fault. It's the other kid that just uh, made him angry. And little Johnny becomes a terrorist because of the action. <laughs> a lot of parents are raising terrorists, terrorizing people. And we can't touch them because we know you are going to be angry. It's going to be a fight of your life. All right? Verse 7 says, Endure hardship and discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? What children? That would be only bastard are not disciplined. If you are not disciplined, every, if, if, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. That means if you are not disciplined, you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all human fathers who discipline us and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirit and life? They discipline us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good 
in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained for it. So now, as I like to read, just to wrap it up here, Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This is why it is really, I mean, first of all, as a parent, you must make it clear you love your children. All right? They must never doubt you love them. They must never doubt that your love for them is unconditional. It's not because they, you know, they score all A's. All right? It's not because they are perfect. It's not because, because that's not how God loves us. All right? How many of us struggle in life because we don't even understand God's love like that? And that's the why, 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 why struggle? That love, God's love is unconditional. And that even when we fail, we run to God, not run away from him. And that's how you test it. When your children mess up, are they still able to run to you? All right? Even when you discipline them, are they still able to run to you? Or do they want to go far away from you? And that's very, very important. So we must learn to balance that. We must not over-discipline them. And at the end of the day, they are provoked. They are discouraged. They don't even want to try anymore. You know, there are kids like that. They don't even want to try anymore. Because no matter what they do, you're not going to be happy. All right? If they score A's, you're going to say, why not A+. plus? All right? I mean, so, and love is now conditional. It's conditional on all those things. We must make sure we don't. But also... We must make sure we discipline. We must make sure we discipline. In fact, I, I'm of the school of thought that the best discipline is to draw boundary. The best discipline is not every little thing you, you fight over. The best discipline is to have a boundary. Then give the children freedom within that boundary, right? What is the boundary? And you talk through those boundaries. What are no-no's, all right? Uh, so, loving and disciplining, we can talk about this all night long, all day long. I have a lot to say. I'm restraining myself because of time. But I really believe that this is a key. This is the key to raising the best children in the world. If you're able to balance that very well, we show them love, but we discipline. Obviously, there are choices of discipline. How do we discipline? Choice of what? Don't use words that are really very damaging. You know, don't say you are stupid. Never call your child stupid. Tell them, come on, you are better than that. Right? That's it. That's it. That's a better way of saying it. No, you're smarter than that. You can't do that. All right? Don't say you this dumb, stupid children or child. Don't say, get out of my face. You see, if you say that often enough, that's not a good way. You know, Telling them to get out constantly, that's not. No. You see, discipline actually requires more discipline from the discipliner than the disciplined. Because most times, you see, most times we lose it. Most times we discipline out of emotion. We're just angry. We just do things. And sometimes they are crazy things. We say crazy things. They don't even understand what you're saying. They don't understand why you're saying it. They just know you are screaming, you are yelling. They just know all that. Some parents even keep malice with their children. <laughs> you don't talk to your child. I mean, 
You don't talk to a 13-year-old child. And they're like, they don't talk, oh, yeah, that's okay. What are they supposed to make of that? What are they supposed to make of that? You are the one being lazy, not willing to engage, not willing to talk, not willing to go through the rigor of disciplining a child, his job, and he requires a lot of wisdom. I'm going to move to the next one. Teaching versus indoctrination. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. He's saying here, teaching must be woven or weaved into every aspect of your life. You see, many of us, the, the reason why we fail is we separate teaching children to a certain time. You know, we do a little devotion, we go through it, and they all know it's religion. They know you don't even mean what you're talking about. They know you are trying to rush through the thing so that you can go to work. Right? They know that. They know you just, oh, who's going to read the Bible? Oh, yeah, read it. There. Oh, this is what the Bible says. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody rushing down. That is not teaching. Look at what he says. I want you to see what he says again. He said, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You teach people from the heart. You don't teach children from a book. You teach them from your heart. That means you know it is in your heart. All right? And he said, teach them diligently to your children and talk of them. You see, talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way. You know, you're traveling, you're talking. You know, you're sitting down with them, you're talking with them. Big draw lessons out of life. You know, find scriptures that apply to what we just experienced. Tell them that's why we do this. You know, if you go, you know, we help somebody along the way, and you tell them this is why we help people. You know, tell them this is why we pray. All right? This is why we pray. One day my son, my, one of my daughters, you know, came to me and he said, why do you always pray? You know, you know, in your position, you pray for a long time. I said, you know, I pray to learn how to be a good father because that's where God teaches me how to be a good father and a good, a good pastor. If I don't do that, it, life will be hard for me. Now, that's a valuable lesson. Now they connect prayer with the way we live, right? When there are challenges in life, when there are problems in life, are you screaming? You know, you don't even talk about God when things are rough. You know, you don't, you know, then at night you say, oh, let's pray. Where was God all day? You, where was God all day? I mean, where is showing people love all day? So this is very important. Uh, you know, so what we try to do is indoctrinate. We don't try to teach. You see, and doctrine really will, well, doesn't last long. Indoctrination just need to hit the wall. You know, hit a philosophy teacher or a friend at school. <laughs> and they realize that this is not really true. There is no, this is not concrete. This is just some gibberish that came out of somewhere. And that's what we tell, they tell them. And they begin to doubt you. But when you weave it into your way of life, this is how we live. This is why we do this. When you teach your child in the way of the Lord, the Bible says when they grow up, they will not depart from it. It's a way of life for them. 
It's not some doctrine somewhere. It is a way of life. Many parents don't never talk to their kids. What did you learn in church today? And how is that applicable to you? You know, what did you learn? My, my daughter was at the youth thing there yesterday. So what did they teach you? And what do you think about that? You know, what is, you know, what does that make you feel? You know, you know, what do you understand that? Do you understand? Sometimes my kids, they love singing. So we're in the car, we sing a song, and I say, do you understand what that song really means? And they say, yeah, I get it. Now, what does that really mean? So what does that mean to us? I mean, we drove maybe 20 minutes, done a lot of teaching because I find ways to weave teaching the children into every little bit of our life. Praise the name of Jesus. So don't try to indoctrinate your children. It's not going to work. As a matter of fact, it's too late. There's internet now. <laughs> 30 years ago, it worked a little. Now it's not going to work. Try to teach them. And teach them with your life first. Let them know that you truly believe in this thing. Don't go home and talk bad about your church in their presence. Don't get in the car and you're gossiping, you're destroying this person, you're saying, oh, this person is this, this person. I mean, they're hearing all that. Some of you are Nigerians or, you know, you use your, your language, but they can figure that language. <laughs> they are smart enough. They might not speak it, but they can put two and two together. They say, I know. I know they're talking about Auntie Mary. <laughs> and they know, and it's not good. They're not, they're not praising Auntie Mary. They're destroying Auntie Mary. And they're with you when you meet Auntie Mary, they fall in and Auntie Mary! They can discern. You have just told them that this old faith, you don't really believe in it. It's just not true. It's not. You don't forgive people. They know. They know you have been keeping malice with one of your in-laws for the last 10 years. They know that. They know you've been keeping malice with somebody. They, they know all that. They can figure it out. But you say, oh, Jesus said we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Do you love your neighbor as you say, yes, mommy? And then, but you don't, you don't love Auntie Sandra. You don't love. They know all that. So as parents, we must be very, very serious. Praise the name of Jesus. Providing versus indulging. I'm sorry, I'm really, really shooting my time, but I really want to nail this. Providing versus indulging. You see, all too often, out of our concern, we can cause a lifelong damage to our children when we are just doing what is best for them. At least that's our thoughts. Only to have the opposite effect. And that's very, very important. We must make sure we draw the line between providing for our children and indulging our children. You see? Children need to know that they are not going to get everything they want in life. Need to know that. Need to know that it's never going to be perfect. They're not going to get everything they want. All right? You know, they're going to get some things or things that are needed or necessary that, that is avoidable. They're going to know. They, they need to know that. You see, so we have to draw the line. Our role is to provide but not to 
indulge. And a lot of us, you know, you know, and this is the definition of indulging, giving children too much of what looks good, too soon and too long. You know, when, our, when we think our role is to meet their needs all the time, they know all they have to do is cry, scream, roll on the floor, and mom is going to say, okay, okay, let's go get it. They, they, know, they trick you into it all the time. I mean, they already mastered it. Is it those little kids? Ah, they, they, can, they can be very manipulative if you allow them. All right, if you allow them. And that's very, very important. So you need to know there's a difference between providing and indulging. You need to know when am I indulging. How many of us, we do it out of, you know, I grew up in poverty. Life was terrible. I don't want my children to experience the same thing. And that's why I give them everything. So you forgot that the reason why you are probably successful is because you didn't have everything. That's why you're good. That's because you didn't have everything. I mean, and you need to let them know. I remember when I took my children last year to Nigeria. So I took them, I took them to the elementary school that I attended. In fact, the classroom that I was in first grade was still there. So I took them there. Oh, my... my my daughter felt so bad for me. <laughs> I'm serious. She actually hugged me and said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> said, I'm so sorry. Said, I'm so sorry. No windows. You know, leaky roof. Uh, it hasn't changed at all. It's worse. But you know, and I said, you know, but if I made it, then you have no choice than to do better. That's what I told him. And I said, you are right. We need to let them know that life, the kids can't have everything. Some of us, we overwork ourselves. We drive ourselves crazy just to really, now, we must provide basic things. But they don't have to have all the toys. Your kids don't have to wear designer shirts. I mean, what? what? Which kids even remember the designer clothes they wore when they were two, three, four, five? I mean, your child is 10, they are 12, and they can only, have, they can only wear designer stuff. I mean, where is that coming from? I mean, and you think that's okay? You think, oh, yeah, children of nowadays. No, please don't endure. Make sure some things they don't have. You see, I spend a lot of time with my kids, and I negotiate this thing with them. I let them know that, you know, look, we're not going to go, go buy stuff, lunch. And I started doing summer, they are with me all the time. I take them here, I bring them, you know. And I say, you know, twice a week we'll do it. Other days you pack lunch. Now, I can afford to do that every day, but I want them to know that that's not how life works. Otherwise, they actually think money comes out of credit cards. They don't say it anymore. They used to say, if I say, I don't have money, they say, but you have cards. <laughs> you have credit cards. Why don't we give them your credit cards? Now, they know now that credit card is not money. Credit card is a debt. So every time you swipe it, you are loaning money, and you have to pay them back. Oh, we don't know that. Oh, yeah. Now you know that they don't come from everywhere. So we need to let them know that Supply of money is limited, and the early they know is better. They need to understand that there is something called delayed gratification. 
They need to know that. They need to know that it's not everything you want that you're able to get. You know, you're not living in your dream house yet. If you can, you move out of that house tomorrow. You go to somewhere else. All right? They need to know that you need to provide for them as a parent, but you are not required to indulge them. So don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty at all. Don't feel guilty. Some of us, because we don't spend enough time with them, then we give them stuff. We give them stuff to be able to make up for that. Uh, don't do that. All right? Some of us, because your parents were so rigid and you hated it, then you swing to the other extreme, right? And there's all the most they can have everything they want, they can do everything, they run around. I mean, even some of the kids in this church, you can't, you can't even correct them. They, it's like, look, you're not talking to them. And I mean the ones that are old, you know. I mean, they run around, they do things, you tell them, they just move on. We need to make sure we teach them, you know, that's not how life is. They, and the earlier, the better. All right? The last thing I want to talk about is praying for them and praying with them. All right? I, I think that's, that's very critical in raising kingdom children. We must understand that, yeah, there are times we pray for them and there are times we pray with them. And a combination of that is very, very important. First of all, as parents, we must know that raising children is a spiritual warfare. All right? So praying for them regularly is very important. You see, don't, don't make it casual. I, I pray for my children once a week. I mean, I mean once a week, and I mean dedicated prayer. Obviously, I mention them every morning, but those are, those are not really enough. You know, in your morning prayer, I pray for my wife, pray for my children, pray for my family, and you go on. You see, but I have time when once a week I dedicate a quality amount of time where I pray for them, pray for them one by one, pray for them, you know, and I spend quality time, half an hour, an hour, where really that's my job that time, period of time, to pray for them. Because the forces that are after them, they are very, very strong. They are ferocious. We want to deceive them, we want to derail them, we want to get them into, I mean, now this legalization of drugs. I mean, there's all kinds of things out there that you just, I mean, nobody really is sitting down there and watching for your kids. For you. I mean, gone are those days. 30 years ago, I think people used to do that quite a lot. Right now, people are afraid to discipline your kids for you, right? I knew when I was growing up, I mean, people, everybody's disciplined. Everybody say, you're not going to turn this. You know, you're living in the streets. Everybody knows your child. They, they can Nobody's going to do that. So it's a warfare now. And it must start from you. It must start from you to say, I'm going to fight this on my knees. But there are a lot of forces you can control. All right? You can be the perfect parent, wear discipline, wear do all that. There are still forces out there. So praying for them must come first, then praying with them. Uh, you know, that means you pray with them. You get them engaged in prayer. So they pray, you pray, so that they also learn how to pray. I'm going to have to stop because I've, I know I've really passed my... Okay, you hold me 15 minutes from last week. Now I remember... So I can use that. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the name of Jesus. All right. I think we all have responsibility, at least to our children here. Uh, even if you don't have a child, obviously you're going to have a child one day and you're going to use all this. So you keep this. 
But also, I think this we can really apply nieces, nephews, right? Even, uh, you know, our God, goddaughter, God, you know, godsons, and, uh, you know, even children in our community here to make sure we are all together to raise them so that they will become kingdom, kingdom children. Let's always keep it in mind, even when we come to church. We want a church that our children we also love to go to. In a few years, or maybe 20, 30, 40 years, we will not be here anymore. But we want them to still be here. There are enough of them to be here to run this and take it to the next level. And that will be our portion in Jesus' name. Can we bow down our heads and pray? Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for giving us uh, the privilege to share this word uh, in a simple way and in a way that I believe uh, you know, everybody can understand, can appreciate. But it goes beyond sharing. I pray you will teach us to be able to really apply them. And the moment of application sometimes, they can seem so fleeting that we even quickly forget. But Holy Spirit, I pray you will remind us in those moments when these words need to be used in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you because you have answered our prayer. In Jesus' name we have prayed.